You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me Podcast. We have a fantastic guest today, and I can't wait to hear his Broadway story. He made his Broadway debut in 1987 at the age of 12 in the musical Teddy and Alice. The following year, he appeared in Macbeth, starring Christopher Plummer and Glenda Jackson on Broadway. At the age of 14, he starred on Broadway as the title character in Prince of Central Park, making him the youngest performer to have his name above the title in a Broadway show. In 1990, he beat the unknown Sutton Foster on Star Search. His other Broadway credits include Rent, Saturday Night Fever, Hairspray, The Wedding Singer, Aida, Legally Blonde, Wicked, Matilda, Jersey Boys, and A Bronx Tale. Please welcome Richard H. Blake. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you, Mark? Oh God, you've been in so many, you've been in more shows than any other human. Like, is there a, <laughs> is there an award for? I've been working this circuit for years. You've been here forever. Um, so yeah. I had no idea. I've seen you obviously on Broadway and tons of things. It would be impossible not to have seen you in a Broadway show, but I had no idea about this fabulous child stardom. So I want to go back to the beginning. Tell me, how did it get started for you? How, how uh, did you know like this was going to be a thing? I don't think anybody really knew. I, uh, I was really clumsy as a child and, um, I fell and broke my nose walking, uh, upstairs and my parents, this is when I was like four my parents brought me to gymnastics to learn some dexterity so I didn't keep falling and breaking more things. And at the place where they took me to, to, to learn gymnastics, right next door was a dance studio. And one day we were walking by and I saw tap dancing in the, in the window. And I was like, I want to do that. And so they were like, all right, fine. So they brought me in and I started tap dancing. And then I started entering dance competitions, you know, a la Dance Moms, you know, because my mom was a dance mom. Um, but, you know, doing those competitions, I went to the Nationals in New York City. I, I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Or, uh, and uh, so when we went to the Nationals in New York City, the judges for this competition, a lot of them were agents, talent agents. And a couple of them saw me and one was like, hey, we got this show coming up that needs dancers, that needs kids that are dancers would you be interested in going out for it? And I was like, sure. So I did and I got it. And that was my very first show, which was uh, a Broadway baby at Good Speed Opera House in 1984. Uh, and 
that, as they say, is uh, the rest is history. You know, from there, I did a lot of commercials. Um, I did the Mary Lou Retton Fun Fitness Show right after she won uh, the uh, on ABC. Um, right after she did the one in the Olympics. So and, were your parents um, very game? They were like, "We'll do whatever it takes." They were. I'm an only child, and I think that's that has a lot to do with why it was possible. Um, they were willing to go you know, where, wherever I needed to go. And they took me to New York and my grandparents would take me to New York and aunts and uncles would like step up if no one else could. And eventually we ended up moving to New York when I was uh, nine. And um, so like shortly thereafter. And, the, you know, I just started working and did show kind of after show. So tell me about Teddy and Alice, which was your Broadway debut, which was a pretty huge musical at the Minskoff Theater starring Len Carreau, um, that ran 77 magical performances. Uh, talk to me about yeah. that show. Yeah, I, I didn't realize who and, and how amazing this was. I mean, I knew what Broadway was. I knew it was the pinnacle. I was so excited. It was, it was a huge deal. But I didn't realize who I was working with. I was working with just the top, you know, top list people like Len Carrio obviously was the, was the star, was Teddy Roosevelt, but then in the cast was Beth Fowler, Karen Ziemba, Nancy Opal, uh, Ron Raines. I mean, like the, like the cast was like insane. So it, it was truly, um, you know, uh, an education for me to learn from these people. And, and honestly, Len, I, I love that man. He was so good to me later on in life. Actually, he, recommended me for another job that I got. And, and so we've kept in touch and uh, it, it was a really special time, but the show was a lot of fun. It was, you know, about Teddy Roosevelt and his kids and his family. And so there was a bunch of kids in the show, which always makes it fun when there's more kids in the show and you're not the only one. Cause I've done a lot of shows as a child where I was the only kid in the show and you're with all adults. So this one, this one was a lot of fun. And I actually didn't, I don't think I closed the show I think I actually left a week or two before the show closed because I got Macbeth um, as Boy Macduff um, in the company with Glenda Jackson and Christopher Plummer and Paul Chenard, as we call it, was directing. And uh, my mother was played by Cherry Jones. So we booked this huge production of, I don't book it at all. We is not me and you. You book this huge production of Macbeth on Broadway at the Mark Hellinger Theater, where very few Broadway current Broadway performers can say they performed. So um, I want to hear about working with Christopher Plummer on doing Shakespeare at, how old are you in that production? Uh, 12. Oh so I mean, God. it was, yeah, I think I was still 12 and 12 into 13. Got it. A great place to turn 13 with Christopher Plummer, Captain yeah. Von Trapp in your uh, dressing room. All right, so tell me about working on that show. Had, had you had any experience doing Shakespeare before? No, I, 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 oddly, I had done Midsummer Night's Dream uh, in school. Um, so when I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher, that's what we did, we did Midsummer Night's Dream. So I had, I did have some, some familiarity with it and when, I liked it so much that I actually had read uh, Romeo and Juliet and Twelfth Night. Um, after I did it in sixth grade, I just got really into Shakespeare. I was, uh, I, I just enjoyed the way he wrote. Um, so I did actually had 
read a few, but I had never done any other productions of Shakespeare. So this was until Broadway. <laughs> until, I just I just skipped straight to the you know just right to the right get right to it. I say, um, yeah, and I didn't I, again. You know, as a child, I didn't really know who I was working with other than Christopher Plummer, who was Captain Von Trapp, which I had done Sound of Music at that point. I had played a court in Sound of uh, in Sound of Music in a production. So I was very familiar with Christopher Plummer. It was all of him, but I, I wasn't really that familiar with Glenda Jackson. And I did watch some of her stuff and it was all this very dark British, you know, heavy stuff. So I was kind of like really scared and intimidated, you know, like I was like, oh, she's, she's kind of a scary lady. Meanwhile, she was the sweetest, most wonderful person on the planet. She, her, her dressing room always had like everyone, everyone in the cast hung out like in, in Glenda Jackson's dressing room. She was like the most down to earth, cool person. So. Um, and then you're probably the only kid in the show. Yeah. So that experience is really sort of wild when you're 14 and you're working with these huge, huge performers uh, doing Shakespeare on Broadway. What a yeah. like head trip. And it was, and it was a, it was an interesting production too. I mean, now I, it's probably not as big of a deal as I've gone through 30, you know, six, seven years or whatever in this business. I've seen a lot, but at the time we went through, I think five McDuff's and three directors, I think. Like there was a lot that happened in the course of that, uh, that production. So, you know, I was just sort of like, what is going on here? You know, and now I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, there's, there's always stuff. But, uh, but at the time I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. What was your parents' reaction? You have these two Broadway shows, essentially one starting right after the other. Mm -hmm. How did they sort of uh, rise to the occasion of being these stage parents? Um, well, fortunately my dad owned a business. He owned a, a restaurant. So um, he, he was able to, travel with me or, or be in New York with me. Um, and we just kind of commuted and they were great about it. And my grandparents uh, would, would come and stay with me and everybody kind of just took turns. But I think they, they were on board with, okay, he's getting a chance to do something wonderful and he's living an experience that who knows what he'll do when he grows up, you know, but this is something that you, you can't really, you know, aspire to and achieve uh, all the time. Not everyone can, no matter how much, how hard you try, you have, there's so much luck and timing. And, you know, I say that all the time that I am the luckiest guy in the world because if I didn't have my career, I wouldn't have my career. It, you know, if that makes sense. I've done a lot of things that have put me in the right place and put me in front of people or worked with people that have hired me again uh, or, or just, you know, the right time, right place. So I think that they saw it as an opportunity for me to, to experience things that I might not ever get the chance to again. So they thought that it would be a good, good thing to let me do. And I was, I wanted to, and it was fun. So. Do you have stories of, do you have Christopher Plummer stories? You know, to be honest, I, he, he was, you know, an older man at the time. I don't think he had a lot of interest in hanging out with the 12 year old boy. Um, and if he had, that would have been also very yeah, strange. So yeah. Right. So, so, yeah, we, we, we didn't really hang out. A lot. I mean, I hung out with, with a lot of the cast members. There were some amazing, 
awesome, fun guys in that show who taught me stage combat, you know, who were young, you know, like they were like young 20 something guys who were like totally, you know, into like playing baseball and football. We, we had like a softball team that was off the chain. Um, and, you know, I, I was like the mascot. Uh, and um, no, there were some really cool people. And Cherry was, I mean, she she was like a second mother to me. She she was amazing. So, uh yeah, I didn't I didn't get to spend a lot of time with Christopher Plummer. How wild is it to watch Cherry Jones become such a huge star? It, I mean, not that I didn't think it was going to happen. She was I mean, I remember the first day of I, I honestly I remember the first day of rehearsal and I I came back and said to my parents I was like, "Oh my god, I was like, the woman who's playing my mom is so amazing because, <laughs> I mean, it, it's she goes through it. She watches her son, you know, get murdered and, you know, like all of a it's like it's it's uh, yeah, it, she I was not shocked, but couldn't happen to a nicer person. A and um, it's just it's always cool to see your friends achieve such greatness, you know. All right. We have to talk about the Prince of Central Park. <laughs> We're laughing because why? it's- Why do we have to? Why? Wild story that I feel like some people, some real theater people know about, but maybe not everyone knows about. Um, I think we have to go, I need to know how it came into your sphere. Like, how did you start working on that show? Because did you do the Florida tryout as well? Oh, I did all of it. Oh, I, was so the only, I was the only Prince, yes. Um, so I was doing Macbeth at the time. And now we know you go from show to show to show. Right. So thank you. Knock wood. Let's like keep that way. Uh, so I was doing Macbeth at the time. And the, because of that, I was a, a child actor on Broadway and, you know, they first people that get a crack at a new show is pretty much going to be the, the child, you know, actors on Broadway. Um, and I went in for the audition and I remember I met with Evan Rhodes, uh, who was the writer and Princess Central Park was the most successful children's book in the world, I think, at that time, worldwide. Uh, at that time, it was something like some some statistic like that. So it was this um it was this big deal. We were all like thinking it was this big deal. And Jan McCart, who I adore, um, was the was this was the producer, and she was this very eccentric lady from Boca Raton, Florida. She owned a theater down in Boca and um, and I went in and I auditioned and I mean, I think I got hired like on the spot, to be honest with you. And that was it. We closed Macbeth and literally as soon as I think they waited for me to close Macbeth. And then as soon as Macbeth closed, I flew down to Boca, um, where I stayed and rehearsed, um, with Annette Fabre. So I, for the yeah. first two weeks, it was me and Annette, like working together on, on stuff. And then we all went, then we met up with a cast in Key West, Florida at Jan's other theater, which was Jan McCart's Big Red Barn. Um, and- Was the plan always it was coming to Broadway? Did you know that when you started working on it? I mean, sure. I mean, like- okay. like, yeah. like everything's going to Broadway. We want, we're, it's a new Broadway show, but we're in we're in a barn in Key West. You know, it, it said barn, but it was actually a theater. Um, it was a- very large barn theater. It was a barn at some point. Yes, it was. Yes, it was a barn at some point. And it, it, it was actually an awesome space. Uh, but we we did the show there, finished the show there, then went to Miami, did the show at the Hirschfeld in Miami, got a new producer attached, uh, Abe Hirschfeld. Uh-oh. Uh, 
We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, the show did there. All, all well and good. And now we, you know, went on a break and we didn't know we were hoping to go to Broadway, but we didn't really know if we were going to go to Broadway. So uh, in the meantime, I got called because I had been down in Florida. And while I was there doing the show and I was the star of the show, a bunch of execs from Disney came down and saw me in the show and asked me to come for a meeting at Disney. And so I did, went with the family over to Disney and sat down in Michael Eisner's office, who was the head of Disney at the time. And he, did, you, did you realize this was a big deal or were you just like going with the flow? No, I, I knew it was, I mean, it, well, to, to get to where we're going, he offered me uh, the Mickey Mouse Club, yeah. uh, you know, a part of the Mickey, new Mickey Mouse Club, which I had already been on the air. So I knew, you know, I mean, I was a kid, so I watched it. So yeah, it was, it was, it was like, whoa, this is, and then they had like the other kids from the show take me to like the amusement parks and like show me around and hang out with me and like kind of like wine and dine me. They were offering me this crazy contract um, with like a house and a car. It was it was it was crazy. I don't even remember all the details, but it was but it was insane. And while this was after the show closed and Prince Bar closed in Miami, so we were on kind of hiatus and I didn't know what to do. And then we got the call that we got a theater on Broadway. We got the Belasco. So we're a go, Princess House Park's a go. So I now had to make a decision. Do I do Mickey Mouse Club or do I open on Broadway starring in this show? And I had always, you know, I had the dream of starring after, especially doing a couple Broadway shows, of being a star of a Broadway show. And so my dad was like, what do you want to do? It's up to you. Whichever, you know, decision you make is, it is up to you. And I was like, I want to do the Broadway show. And he was like, Really? <laughs> so, but um but i did and he he you know he was like cool that's what you want to do that's what you're, you're in this for you know for for you and for fun and to do what you want to do at that time and so i did i did the broadway show and obviously they had to find a replacement for me um on the mickey mouse club so they hired um some guy named ryan gosling yeah okay <laughs> to take my party okay so that's wild and it's a crazy story. And obviously you can look back at, at it now and, and you can have a laugh about it. But in that moment of kind of deciding, is this the thing? How does a, how old are you? You're 14 at this point or 13? Yeah, 14. How do you make that kind of decision? Like if you're, if you're going back in your head, do you, what do you remember weighing out? I mean, I know it's like my name above the title in this new Broadway musical and just put me in the mindset of, of a kid you know, that age. There's a lot of things that come into play there because it's it's it would be completely different now the things that the options that i weighed then versus what i would weigh now i it wasn't yes it was a career then and honestly covid is the first time i've been unemployed since i was eight, eight years old wow. um so it, it's kind of a weird thing but i didn't think of it as a career in the responsibility form you know i wasn't trying to make a living i wasn't trying to support my family i wasn't all of those things weren't a factor. So I was really just doing whatever I wanted to and I thought would make me most happy. And I had been working on this show, Princess Central Park, for a while. Um, and the people had become a family to me. And I wanted to, I couldn't imagine after all the work that I had put into the show, someone else opening that show on Broadway. Like it just, that didn't feel right. That's what didn't sit, I think, with me. Mm -hmm. is that I just like, I couldn't imagine doing all that work and 
being that family and then like having some other person just step in. It just felt like I was, it felt like I was betraying them. It felt like I, all, all those things. Now also, you know, I have on the other hand, Disney, you know, like I'm going to, Oh, I'm going to go live and work uh, on in TV. Disney world, essentially. Uh, yeah. Disney at, at 14. I'm like, that was amazing. Um, who knows? Maybe I would have been an NSYNC. I don't know. But <laughs> well, uh, you did you did just fine. But it, but it, you know, I mean, like seriously, like you you at that point, you're just sort of doing whatever I think makes you happy. And for me at that time, uh, just the idea that I could do something that no one else had done too at that point was kind of cool. And no one really wants to live in Orlando if you can avoid it. So <laughs> ultimately, maybe just for that reason alone. But I crazy <laughs> enough, I'm a dis like I'm a Disney file. Like I still <laughs> to this day, we we go a lot and my wife and my son and I are all Disney fanatics. So we and I kind of belong to a group. We there's a there's like a, a group of us like it's like James Engelhardt and Nick Walker and Jordan Fisher and like all of us and Jared Bradshaw. Like a group of us are on this chat thread of Disney you know, like files, uh, a Broadway Disney file. So. Well, you know, Jared has his own Disney YouTube show oh, now. So well, trust me, I know we're plugging, we'll plug it here on the we'll little podcast. <laughs> okay. We have to get into the nitty gritty of Prince of Central Park since you made that decision to go to Broadway. So we're going to take a little break and come back and talk about Prince of Central Park. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. I'm here with Richard H. Blake, and we're about to discuss Prince of Central Park, his Broadway show that he was above the title in. So you're now in the history books as the youngest person in history having a name above a title. Do they always tell you that was going to be the thing? Like it's going to be Richard H. Blake in Prince of Central Park? No. Um, my at the time, my dad negotiated that contract. He was kind of like my manager at the time. Yeah, dad. He's dad was no joke. Dad was hardcore. Uh, he he was like, you want him? This is what this is what it's gonna take. Um, you know, again, I don't really now. I know what negotiations are like, uh, but because I've also been on the other side from producing and stuff. But at the time, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, go ahead. And he just yeah. did whatever he needed to do to like get it happen. But um, but I think he always felt like that's what's fair, you know? Um, and you were the lead of the show. Your name should I be mean, above it. I'm on stage more than yeah. anyone else in the show. Yeah. So so if you were going to explain the the story of Prince of Central Park in a few sentences, how might you explain that? I have written out a couple of sentences, but I want to hear your version. I mean, I think Frank Rich uh, 
explained it well in his review, um, but we can get to that uh, later. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen that. I have. Re- I read the review last you night. Might, you might want to uh, listen. You, Rich, Richard, you got a lot of very good reviews in that show. I, Frank yeah. Riches was not the best one of, for the show, but everyone loved you. It wasn't even so much just about. It wasn't me. So he just the, he just the show didn't really appeal to him. I don't think. Um, no, the the story of the show is this runaway. Uh, foster child like he's been kicked from foster home to foster home and beaten and you know abused so he decides that he's not going to take it anymore he's going to run away and he leaves the foster home that he's in he doesn't know where to go so he goes to central park and he decides he's going to live in central park he's going to build a tree house and so he builds a tree house in central park um and kind of just lives like a king in the park where he just knows his own domain and this woman whose husband cheated on her is going through it. And she is on a bench one day underneath his treehouse, And they sort of meet and then befriend each other. And then there's this drug dealer, drug dealer, bad guy who wants me to be his bag boy. So, you know, because no one suspects a little kid running drugs. So he's, you know, threatening me to to do that. And then I say no. And I go against him because he tries to mug the old lady. Um, and uh, then he wants to kill me. And the gang rides, they, they're on roller skates at one point. Um, so they're a really, really threatening gang. Uh, <laughs> well, I like a drug deal on roller skates if I can have it. Well, yeah, I mean. If that's the option. Well, these days, I think that's probably a lot more common. Yeah. On roller skates. Uh, okay, so it's a wild show. Yeah. Um, does does that that woman character adopt you at the end? Was that the ending of it? Well, that's very heartwarming for him. So uh, Nanette Fabre was replaced by Joanne Worley, correct yeah. for Broadway? Yeah. Um, tell me about working with her on that. Oh my! Well, first of all, God bless Nanette. Um, I loved her so much. She was a very very special woman, and um, that was one of the highlights of my career was probably working with Nanette Fabre. Uh, And the same could be said for Joanne Worley. She, I learned so much from how she handled technical difficulties. (laughs) Now granted I wouldn't do it the same way, but, but just being able to stay cool and improvise and, you know, she was from laughing. So she had this, personality that everyone was coming to see so whenever something would go wrong she would break the fourth wall and do her ah, and do her thing <laughs> and, you know uh and but they they ate it up and i think people liked it more when things went wrong in the show because they got to see joanne do what joanne does she was such a superb talent um and I, i've never seen anybody work she came in a little late to the to the to the to the process because uh originally after gloria de haven replaced nanette Fabre. And then in rehearsals, Gloria DeHaven departed the show and Joanne came in and took over for her. So uh, I've never seen anybody work so hard in my life, next to maybe Marie Osmond, um, who was probably- We're going gonna to get into Marie Osmond um, also. But, but yeah, I mean, and the sweetest person, I mean, she's, I still get a Christmas card every single year, uh-huh. Joanne. I mean, like we, over the years following Princess Central Park, we would meet up, you know, every whenever we're kind of in the same place, you know, with my family. And then obviously, you know, through the years, we've kind of lost touch except for, you know, the Christmas cards, but. 
What kind of pressure did you feel as a 14-year-old boy headlining this new musical that was probably changing every day in rehearsal? Obviously, you mentioned that your female lead was changing often. How did you adapt to all that? You know, it's funny. It was the first time I felt pressure. The the other shows, I was not the one that had to carry the show, so I didn't really have any of that pressure on me. Um, but this for this first time, and especially after making the decision that I made, uh, I felt like I did have a lot of weight on my shoulders because I was not the one on stage the most of the time. So if it didn't go well, it was more than likely going to come down on me. And, you know, I was going to be the one who was not really pulling their weight. So it was the first time, I think, in, in my career as a child that I felt the pressure. And I kind of enjoyed it. Is that okay. like yeah. I kind of thrive on that? Like I like having to rise to the occasion. It it's a sort of motor motivator, I guess. When you have that pressure on you, you're like, well, you dude, suck it up, buck up, and and do everything you can to make this work. Um, and so, yeah. Did any of that attention go to your head? Did you feel like I'm the star of this show? I. I can't be in school. You know, all of the things that when you're an adult, you would have some balance, but when you're a kid, it's a little harder to make your way through. I honestly, I'm, I'm sure I did, I guess, but honestly, I never, I, I hung out with a lot of famous kids because I went to school at professional children's school. And so, yeah. I, so I wasn't really any more, uh, Everyone was working. Everyone was doing everything. My circle of kids that I hung out with, I wasn't really impressive to them. So, uh, you know what I mean? When I would go home to Rhode Island and 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 see my dance studio and my my go to my dance studio or see my friends or whatever, they would sort of all act a certain way, and you know. But I was I I kind of felt like I always sort of went the 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 humble route um, because I've always been one to sort of just like the the people that I'm, I surround myself with are, they know me. Um, but yeah, I don't think I, a little bit later, let's go, we'll, we'll cut, we'll get there later, a little bit later on in my career, actually, when I got a little older, I, sometimes a few things may have gotten to my head. Um, but, but at this point uh, in my career, I think I was still just sort of like, I'm no different or, or, more successful than anyone else. <laughs> what was the audience reaction to this show that was a little bit out there and had drug dealing roller skaters? And what could you hear or feel from the audience? Were you in tune to that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sort of. We only had four performances to really. And how do you remember how many previews? It's like 14 previews or something uh, like that? 20. 20. I think it was okay. First, like, or 22 previews, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, like three weeks of previews. Um, and then four performances, but there were, uh, honestly, the, the audience liked it to, I think, you know, they were having fun. I mean, we, for the, for the, the 26 total performances we had, we did get standing ovations every night. Now something, I don't know. What do you remember from opening night? Oh, opening night. Um, it was at Tavern on the Green. You don't want to know what I remember. <laughs> First of all, in the show, that's how I ate. I, I would go and steal my food from Tavern on the Green. I found a window in Tavern on the Green, and I would sneak in and get food. So that was how I ate um, and survived 
in the show. So obviously we had the party at Tavern on the Green. And honestly, what I remember most is us all going, this, this is going to be an epic fail. And the guy who played the lead drug dealer, Anthony Galdi, he, he and I were like besties and he, <laughs> we were like, let's get out of here um, with our families and stuff. And we were on our way out and Abe Hirschfeld comes running like into the entrance. Your producer. Our producer with with the New York Times going, we're a hit, we're a hit. Um, That was my best Abe Hirschfeld. Very good, I guess. He didn't speak uh, very good English. Um, And uh, we were like, what? And we went and got copies and then we went back to the, the, the hotel where we were living because they actually had housed me on the, he owned the Biltmore, not Biltmore, the Penta hotel across from Penn station. So he had given me the top floor basically. Wild. I was like part of the contract is that they had to pay for my housing. Um, like my, and so they just gave me like the top floor of the hotel. So (laughs) we went back to the hotel and we read the reviews and we were like, what was he talking about? We got murdered. We got absolutely murdered, and um, we we knew it wasn't wasn't good for us. And I think the next day he that was a I want to say it was a Thursday, and the next day he they called a meeting. We went into his office, into Abe Hirschfeld's office. Me, Joanne, Anthony, um, and uh, Abe and Jim. And he was like, "Okay, so to keep the show open, we need everybody to take pay cuts." And we're like, well, how are we supposed to, like, you know, the other actors are like, how are we supposed to eat, you know, like pay our bills? And they're like, well, he's like, well, you could get a, you know, like a, like a second job. <laughs> no. So, okay. So just a little backstory on Abe Hirschfeld. I, I don't know if you were going to mention it or not, but Abe Hirschfeld owned the Kinney parking lots. So he was an extremely wealthy man. He also um, died in prison because he was um, arrested for conspiring to murder, assassinate his business partner. That's criminal solicitation. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, that, uh, okay. That so that, that's, you know, that's really explaining Mr. Ver, uh, Mr. So, so wait, so, so come, so cut to, we go, we are like, no, we finish out the week. We got a call that the show was closing, but all, all of the only me, Anthony, and Joanne got a call that the show was closing. Every other cast member showed up to work on Tuesday to a locked theater. No, I swear to God, I kid you not. That's wild. wild. But nobody like when you did that Sunday matinee, which was your last oh, show. We're, we're all coming back. My stuff was all in the in the theater still. So when did they tell you you were closed? Monday, on the day, Monday. Off, they told us they, they I got the call. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was the end of Prince of Central Park. A very memorable experience, it sounds oh, it like. Was. So, like, what do you think about next? Like, I want to now I want to try to do a TV show. Do I want to do another Broadway show? What is in your what's in your 14-year-old head? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, well, even though the show is a flop, when you know, when you when you do get to star in something, it it always uh, fortunately opens up opportunities and that's kind of what and you got amazing reviews like there are so many incredible reviews about your performance in particular yeah which was which was uh i think the upside which got me uh, the chance to to do some other stuff and not uh get you know blacklisted um but the the next thing was i got a call probably as soon as it closed i got a call 
uh, to do Gifts of the Magi at the Lambs right across the street, uh, which is uh, which was Off-Broadway House, um, right across the street from the Belasco where Prince Central Park was. So uh, I went into that and started like working on that like immediately. Um, and then while I was doing that, I got the call to do Friedrich in the Lincoln Center production of Sound of Music with Debbie Boone. Wow. Um, and Lawrence Guitard. Um, and so I went and I did that right after that. And then did, did a bunch of TV shows, like, you know, like guest stuff, like guest starring stuff. Like ep- episodes. When did Star Search come into your life? Right after Sound of Music. Okay. So I, so right after Sound of Music, I got approached to do a boy band. And so I was in a boy band for a while. What was the name of that boy band? Um, Next Step. Okay. And um, they were all, I was like the, I was like the Joey McIntyre. I was like the young one. Okay. And all the other guys were like, like 20, 21. Right. And I was like 14. So um, it was really trying to, I think, recreate new kids on the block at the time. And the, eventually they were like, all right, the studio were like, eh, it's a little weird. Your, your age difference is too far. Why don't you do a solo thing? So I went and started doing a solo album. The uh, manager, my manager at the time, my music manager at the time uh, was like, well, let's get you on star search. He's like, that way we can get you like kind of out there and let you see like, that's what, that's what people are doing right now before they do their recording career, before they release something. So I did. So I went out and did star search. How many weeks were you on star search? Uh, five total. I, I won four before the finals and then the finals. And you beat Sutton Foster. Oh, so that's yeah. a good feather in your cap. Oh yeah. <laughs> she was, um, I think, she, I think, she, I think she might've been the my first, I think she might've been the first. Yeah. She was the first person I went up against, I think. Um, cause I was, I was nervous and she gave me uh, a stuffed animal like to, to, I yeah, know backstage, she gave me a stuffed animal. She's like, here, don't be nervous and that. Cause she was the previous champion from the week before. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I was like, that's really sweet. And she, to this day, to this day says that it's because she gave me her lucky stuffed animal is why I beat her. What did you sing on star search? Cause I cannot find a clip of you <laughs> and I've been looking. Oh, I sang for, well, I sang many songs, but the song I sang against um, Sutton was On My Own from Les Mis. And I changed the lyrics, you know, uh, to She is Beside Me. And Excellent. In, in Eponine's Key, hell yeah. I was who, was, who was helping you find oh. songs and stuff to do on Star Search? Um, my, my music manager and, and I both kind of just like pick songs. I sang, I sang that. I sang One Moment in Time by Whitney Houston. Oh. Um, I sang, uh, out here on my own from fame. Um, I think like all girls, I had a really high voice. So I approve, I approve all of your song choices. These are great. So do you go, is the thought of like, Oh, good. I'm going to go to college. Like I'm going to be in, was that, did that ever enter your head? Like, I just want to be a normal non-performing <clears throat> young person. Yeah, it did. Um, I, yeah, I took a little break uh and i was like thinking about like going to college i also graduated early because i was like homeschooled and and so i i I got done with high school early um so it was kind of this weird decision about going to college really young 
and what that experience would be like and whether it was worth it. And if I did go to college, it was going to be for drama, obviously. So, or, you know, or, or, or for something in the arts. So I had these opportunities at the time where I would either go to college or keep working. And it was kind of like, well, yes, I would, I'm not saying I wouldn't learn anything in college, but I'm being offered the jobs that I would go to college to, to get. Yeah. So should I just take them now? You know? Um, and, and so, yeah, so I, I, I opted to just work. So you went on tour with Sound of Music. Is that one of those jobs that came up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was with Marie Osmond. And that was like a huge tour. Laura Bell Bundy was in that as well, right? It was. What do you remember from uh, working with Marie Osmond, who you mentioned earlier is the hardest per- working well, yes, person? Laura, Laura yeah. Bell Bundy also was uh, in, I mean, we've done now what? I think four shows together now. So I think she might be just a little fact. I think she might be the person I've worked with the most in my career. The idea of working with Marie Osmond was awesome because I grew up like loving Donnie and Marie. And so it was, it was a very cool experience. I learned a lot. I grew up a lot on that show. I, I, I went out on the road uh, at I think it was 17 when we started. Wow. Um, and so uh, I had just finished doing Starlet. Oh no, I was 18. Sorry, I was 18. Um, I was 17 when I went to Las Vegas to do Starlight Express, which was right before that. And um, left Starlight, got hurt, left Starlight, and got uh, Sound of Music. Went out on tour with Sound of Music. Grew up a lot in those two years. Um, that was a, like a really, I, I, yeah, that was. I learned a lot. Grew up a lot. Spent most of my time with. Um, Marie actually and her family because her husband and I got along really well. And so I would ride, she had a, a bus that went from city to city, uh, you know, her like tour yeah. bus. And so I would, I would go from city to city with them and play, you know, like with the kids and stuff. Uh, Cause her son and I got along really well and her husband and I got along really well. So that was a, a really cool experience. And I've never met, like I said, I don't think I've ever met anyone who works harder than Marie Osmond. I love it. And then you were back on Broadway as you were like one of the first Rogers in Rent. Like you're the, are you the third one? Are you the third? Um, And that was like, you know, the biggest show that you could book like at that time, certainly. Yeah, this is kind of goes to back to when you were like, oh, did any of it go to your head? Um, Not necessarily that it went to my head, but it it was like nothing. Even when I was, you know, obviously I was 14 at the time when I was a star of a Broadway show, like nothing was like... to put it in perspective to your listeners now who maybe aren't weren't around in the early or late nineties when rent was popular, it's, it was Hamilton. Yeah. It was, there was, we were rock stars. We could go anywhere. We, I was, I was looked at the same as Leonardo DiCaprio when I walked into a club or a bar in, in, uh, in New York city. Like that's the kind of status we had. Like everyone knew who we were. Um, and so, you know, kind of took advantage of that, I guess, a little bit. Well, you should. Good for you. you. Know I mean? um, but, but yeah, I had never experienced anything like it. And it had its pros and it had its cons. That was also like the start of the message boards. Oh, yeah. So, like one day you were everyone's favorite Roger. And then the next day you didn't say hi to them at the stage door. And all of a sudden you were the worst Roger that ever walked on stage. And, you know, I mean, it's it like... And I had to learn. And I remember like at first I would go to like internet cafes to like get on 
to the internet to like see what people were saying about me. I was like so self-conscious and like, what did I, oh my God, what am I doing like wrong or right? Or what do they like? What do they not like? Cared, you know? And so I then have learned, I don't, now I don't even look, I don't even go online. That's, that's for the know. best. It makes everyone crazy. It's not worth I'm it. Barely on social media. Like I've, I'm old now though, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so you do rent for a while and then you go right into Saturday Night Fever. Was that the next big thing? Uh, oh, Footloose. You went, you did a tour of Footloose. Yeah. So I did, I did the, the workshop of Footloose. Um, and right after the workshop of Footloose. So I, so I left Sound of Music, did the workshop of Footloose. Right after the workshop of Footloose, I, I went into rent. So when the production, the Broadway production of Footloose came around and like six months later, I was under contract and couldn't do it. So then a year later, when the show was going out on the road, they asked me to go out on the road with it and do it on the tour. And I was like, yeah. So I've been doing rent for like two years or almost two years at that point. So. Awesome. Do you, as like, I mean, you've been on tour even recently, you did mm -hmm. the Bronx Tale tour. What do you love about that? For so many actors, it's just like, does not suit their lives. So I'm so curious how uh, you so seem. Dramatic. Like yeah. I, it does suit me. Like I love touring. I really do. I love, I love being transient. I love, I get bored so easily with everything in life. Um, uh, you know, I'm people laugh when my wife met me, She's like, you are such a liar. Because I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know. I do that. Oh, I do that. She's like, you, you do everything. She's like, you say you do everything. And then she was like, one day, she was like, you really do do everything. I was like, it's just because when I see something that I find interesting, I, like, get obsessed with it until I can kind of master it and, like, learn how to do it. And because I get bored. And then I get bored with that. And then I move on to something else. And that's just kind of how I am. Um, uh, she was like, oh, so is that what's going to happen to me? <laughs> I, I think like, she's she's fine. Yeah, we are, we're 23 years in. I That's think. amazing. I think she's good. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I like going to new places. I like meeting new people. I like different audiences. I know that sounds weird, but every city and and place and country, people react differently. They respond differently, and it's cool to see how one thing can play with a, with a certain person and not play with another, you know, obviously that happens in a theater in New York city in small sample sizes. But when you go to different cities, it seems to happen more in a mass, you know, like yeah. environment kind of responds similarly. How strange was it to be back at the Minskoff where you started your career to do Saturday Night Fever? Oh, it was a trip. It was <laughs> a trip. Um, awesome though and and very different you know i was a kid i used to run around the the halls and the and the tunnels underneath the stage you know with the other kids in the show um and you know now i was like an, coming in as an adult who had a very different experience with it so it was just it was nostalgic and cool um i've, I've actually been fortunate enough to play several theaters i think multiple times and that's always a fun thing because when you go back in, it's feel it's like a comfort food. Yeah, you know, you've done obviously so many Broadway shows. You've gone from show to show doing Aida and Hairspray and Wedding Singer. We're going to talk about Legally Blonde in a second. But um, how are how are you making these decisions of the things that you're like, oh, I want to do that or I want to do that when it feels like you must have some options? <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, the decisions sometimes you know, the, the, the options aren't always at the same time. And sometimes I've had to 
make a decision before I had the opportunity actually uh, in hand for something else. So you're like, oh, do I say yes to this? Um, or do I say no and hope that, that this comes up in time? Uh, I'm kind of a yes guy. I kind of like, I, I like to work. I like to be busy. You know, we kind of made that clear. So if it was a choice between waiting for something to, you know, that was going to come up in three months that someone was like, Hey, we want you to do this. It starts in March or taking a job now saying no to that and taking a job now, I'm going to take the one now. Got it. So when Legally Blonde happened, that the audience response to that show is not something you see all the time as no. far as fan. I mean, we're, we had that rent moment, obviously. and But Legally Blonde felt like it had a, a very wide reach, especially to young girls. And uh, talk to me a little bit about doing that show for so long and what your experience was. Well, and what's weird is that it still does. Like, it still has that uh, appeal because of the internet and how many schools do that show. And you filmed it for television. We filmed it for MTV. Yeah. We had the reality show. I mean, so, so people can watch it. They can, you know, still see it to this day, like in full form. Um, so it's kind of cool. Like every show that I've done since then, I come out the stage door every single night, there's someone who brings up Legally Blonde, you know, like, Oh yeah, I love Legally Blonde. It's one of my favorite shows. It just had that impact. I think it was just an empowering musical, particularly for for young um, women. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's really really a special special part of my career because uh, I've done a lot of shows and and had a lot of really great roles and great performances. But I'm probably most well known for Warner and Legally Blonde, you know, and uh, of everything that I've done in my entire career. That's that's probably the thing I'm most known for. I um, want to talk about in recent years, you've done uh, shows with young people. You were in Matilda on Broadway, and obviously you were in A Bronx Tale on Broadway and originated that role in the national tour. Um, and you were so great in Bronx Tale. I thought your connection with that kid was so special. And it has to go back to you being a kid on stage. So if you could just tell me a little bit about how you worked with that, you know, the boys who played opposite you in, in Bronx Tale and, and how you were able to help them. Yeah. Um, well, a it's very it's very different now than it was then. I mean, now you have multiple kids for every like the, there is not one kid for back then. We wasn't like that. You did eight shows a week. Um, if you were if you were a kid, you worked the same hours and you got your school in after that, you know, or before that. You got to figure that out. The the child labor laws have changed a lot, um, which is wonderful because the kids are protected now. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great when you can mentor someone and you can sort of help someone because you've been there. You know what they're feeling and what they're going through and how they feel walking into a room full of adults and they want to act like they are, you know, equals and, you know, peers, but they also feel like, oh, God, I'm in a room full of adults. Um, so, uh, and also how, you know, working with kids, you have to sort of... Um, it's, it's kind of like talking to your own children. I mean, I have a child and that was one of the things I think that made Bronx Tale easy for me too, is because I have a young boy uh, and I, I just connected with the story and with the character and Lorenzo and Lorenzo is a, is the kind of man 
that I would like to be and the kind of father I would like to be. You know, it's Chaz's real dad. It's his real life story. And he has such love for his father. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, so. I think you could feel that in the writing and certainly in your performance. It just felt like you were really the heart center of that show. So you did a, you were spectacular in it. Thank Congratulations you, on that. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about what is coming up for you. What are you excited about? What kind of projects do you have like in the works for when we can all be back in a theater together? Um, yeah, well, so recently I just did um, a couple episodes of a, of a new show called uh, The Second Wave. That's kind of beyond um, Spectrum, I believe. Uh, it's like a new TV show with Audrey McDonald and Will Swenson and Stephen Pasquale. And, Great. I mean, everybody. Like, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of theater people, actually, but it's not a, it just happens to have a lot of theater actors in it. Um, but it's, it's uh, a show, obviously, second wave that kind of is about the second wave of COVID. Ugh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> but, um, and and uh, supposed to be doing some more episodes of that. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of, uh, I have a production company and, and we're working on a couple of shows and getting ready for when when everything opens up and, you know, having stuff ready to, to, to get into the theaters when it opens up. So I have a show called Whiskey Land uh, kind of in the works. And then I'm also working uh, as an actor on a show that we're hoping to uh, to get up there soon, as soon as things open, called Trial, um, that Walk Run Fly is producing. Excellent. But yeah, I mean, a lot of concert work, you know, because that's going to be the thing for a while. But to be honest with you, I'm I, I'm enjoying my time off. I know it, I, I don't want it to sound. No, you probably never had any yeah. <laughs> like, in your whole life. I've gotten to like put my kid to bed and have yeah. dinner with him at the dinner table. Like, you know, the theater lifestyle particularly is as wonderful as it is for raising a family. It gets tough when your kids go to school because I would see my son in the morning, send him off to school, and then I would go to work basically right when he got home from school. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't see him. He'd be in bed when I got home. So it, this has kind of been a really great time for me to spend with my family. And most people don't have to like work through seventh grade. So it's nice that you're having a, yeah. a little time to and, not yeah, yeah, be working. Exactly. Um, I want to know what you're obsessed with right now. Give me a movie, a book. Give me, what What is Richard Blake obsessed with right now? Uh, well, two, two things. A, I'm obsessed with cribbage, playing cribbage. I play cribbage every single day. Um, it's just, you know, that's the game that I, I, I sit and play with, um, my family every day and the boys on Amazon. I mean, awesome. it's like the second season was over now, but I mean, I literally was, it, I, you know, the, um, and the Mandalorian. So. All right. My obsession this week is a Netflix movie called Jingle Jangle. If you've not seen it, it is the most charming, big, splashy Broadway musical. Um, it is 20 minutes too long, but it is really, really good. So check out Jingle Jangle on Netflix. Oh, oh, and the Queen's Gambit. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was obsessed with the Queen's Gambit. It's so uh, good. It was my I obsessed like four night. episodes ago. Sorry. Oh my God. It was so good. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the Broadway Workshop Quick Fire questions? Oh my this is God. A yes. He's ready. Okay. First audition song. Um, uh, uh, Lullaby of Broadway. Favorite holiday. Christmas. First Broadway show you saw. Um, I saw Annie in Boston at the Schubert, but the first Broadway show I saw was Chorus Line. Tell me one thing about Orfe. Uh, that voice. 
Um, hey. We have, uh, she's the second most person I've worked with. Duh, she's the best. Um, if you can go back and do one performance of anything in your career, what would it be? Jersey Boys. Okay. And how many performances of Jersey Boys did you do? A lot. But you just had the best time? I, it, it, I just think Tommy DeVito is one of the best written characters in the history of Broadway. Uh, Love it. Theater. We didn't have time to talk about Jersey Boys, so now we're getting in our Jersey Boys conversation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, other thing is, Orphe's in my phone is money. Great. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's the other thing I'd say about Orphe's. What is your pre-show ritual? Ooh, uh, I have OCD, so I have to do everything starting at 15 minutes in order. Um, and that means the, from the way I get dressed to brushing my teeth uh, to when I do my hair and that. And at five minutes every night, uh, they call five minutes. And my standard response, and you can ask anyone that has ever done a show with me, they'll tell you because it is so annoying. They go, five minutes, everyone, five minutes. I go, five minutes? I'll never be ready. I quit the play. It's just a thing. I say you, it every night. And you have to say it. What do you want on your bagel? Uh, cream cheese. Do you, oh, strangest fan interaction. Um, <laughs> um, wow. Uh, I've, I've signed body parts. I mean, I guess that's probably the weirdest thing. Yeah. That, that comes up often. Um, your go-to album for a car trip. Ooh, Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Ooh. One show you will never get over not booking, which doesn't sound like you've never not booked anything. So. Um, it, I will say not not a show that I didn't book. I actually did book it, but didn't get to do because I couldn't get out of the contract that I was in. Was Tommy? Oh. I, I was I was hired to replace Christian Hoff, which is ironic because oh. I, I you know obviously played in Jersey Boys, um, and I they wanted it. it was an immediate replacement, and they wouldn't let me out of the contract of the show I was doing. Sorry about that. Have you ever called out mid show? Yes. What show is it? Uh, several, but. Um, in Princess Central Park, actually, in Miami, in mid-show, a set piece fell on my head and cracked it open. I had to be rushed to the emergency room in the middle of the show. Do they keep doing the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, Is there, my, like, just a kid ready to do it? My understudy, they went on. Yeah, I was, blood was just gushing down my face. And they came in to get my microphone and... and um, Rinch it out. Yeah, and my 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 mom lost it on them. She was like, oh. Are you, shut up. Oh, my God. All right. Um, who's your number one alphaba? <gasps> That's not fair. I know. It's a question, um, though. Uh, mm, Jackie Barnes. I want Blank Movie to be a musical. Wall Street. What role should Patti Lapone play in Rent? Uh, Maureen. Patti Lapone's amazing. I just want to. I want to witness that. Um, sing the hell out of Take Me or Leave Me. Are you kidding me? If you can have dinner with one person, who would it be? Barack Obama. Can you name two Real Housewives? No. Okay. Oh wait, uh, um, wait. I lived right next. I lived like down the street from Judas to Teresa. Teresa Judice. Yeah. Or Judice, depending on the day. Right. All right. She lives down the street from me. What a scene that must be. Um, fill in the blank. The search for Elle Woods was blank. Fun. Tell us one thing about doing Wicked. Um, my son was born. During my I love that. How often do you get confused with Andy Carl? Uh, twice a day. Name a musical you're okay with never seeing again. Cats. Same. If you could go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um. 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 I. 
I'm the worst at Broadway musicals. That's why. Um, um, I don't know. Okay. Court line. Court Yeah. Honestly, it was. It's, it's the best. Yeah. Do you do any impressions? No. Have you ever left a show in intermission? Um, I plead the fifth. Yep. Okay. What movie can you watch over and over again? Rounders. Great. What's your Starbucks order? Um, caramel uh, macchiato or frappuccino, depending on the time of year. And since Christmas is right around the corner, what's your favorite family tradition? Uh, well, I mean, we have lots, but we 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 do Christmas jammies. We get ugly, crazy Christmas jammies, um, and we have to wear those the the night before Christmas. We put those on Christmas Eve. Richard Blake, you are a delight. There is no question why you've been such a huge star. Thank you for going over with me today. This has been such a fun interview. Tell the people where they can follow you. I know you say you're not big on the on the interweb. <laughs> but... at, at Richard H. Blake on yes. all platforms. Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. Richard, thank you so much for joining me thank today. Um, it's such a pleasure. And remember to subscribe to the Little Me Podcast, rate and review. Follow us on Instagram at Little Me Podcast. And I will see you next week. Bye, Richard. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.